Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. In the midst of a historic crisis, the state is preparing the ground to sabotage a potential left government. The aftershocks of the financial crash and the Brexit vote are leaving no part of the capitalist establishment unsullied. In a shock decision, the UK Supreme Court intervened in politics to rule against the executive and ordered that Parliament's suspension be ended. That top judges were willing to overturn a Tory Prime Minister shows the depth of the political crisis. But while this was a blow to Johnson's reckless no-deal ultimatum, were the Labour leaders right to praise the judiciary as an impartial upholder of democracy? In this episode of Socialism, we discuss the state, a warning to Corbynism. This episode, we're going to discuss the real danger to the workers' movement and to a potential left government from the institutions and forces of the state. This is an extremely important issue and an immediate issue, what with the political interventions by the UK Supreme Court and the possibility of a Jeremy Corbyn-led administration before or soon after the year's end. But we should start by putting it in context. It's conference season for the main electoral parties, Parliament is back in session, and Boris Johnson's promised 31st October Brexit Day looms large without any way to resolve the belligerent Westminster deadlock. This episode we'll be talking with Hannah Sell, the Socialist Party's Deputy General Secretary. So what is so dangerous for the capitalists about Johnson's actions, Hannah? Well, he's being extremely reckless from Mm. their point of view. We're recording this just before his speech to Tory party conference, but it seems at that he's going to put forward his idea for a deal, which has already been rejected in reality by... Ireland, and he's going to insist that if that's not accepted, then the 31st of October, they're out. It's Brexit day. And from the point of view of the capitalist class in Britain, it's dangerous, it's reckless. Mm. I think we have to be careful, because it's not primarily about Johnson's personality. Mm. This is a reflection of objective processes. The Tories implemented brutal austerity and are very unpopular. And he <laughs> is, again. you know, but he is trying to find a social base to stand on. That's what this stems from. I don't know if we've covered this in a previous podcast, but David Cameron's come out with his autobiography recently. And it's, it's interesting. Mm. And it's interesting, first of all, because he admits that the root cause of the working class vote for Brexit was anger at austerity. Mm. I heard an interview with John Humphreys on the radio where Humphreys kept pushing Cameron to say, why did you say to me just a week before Brexit that if you lost the referendum and Brexit was voted for, you would definitely not resign? (laughs) And Cameron kept saying, if they had known, they being the angry mob, um, (laughs) if they had known that they could have felled a Tory Prime Minister, it would have been even worse. Mm. And that is a tacit admission of the reasons that people went out and voted for Brexit, or a big reason for workers why they went and voted for Brexit in the referendum. And of course, he also says in his autobiography that he stands over every single little bit of austerity he implemented and he wished he'd done much more. Which, by the way, shows that For all the confused and complicated political situation we've had since Mm -hmm. the referendum, the fact that Cameron was felled by that referendum was a victory for the working class. Of course, because you had Tory Brexiteers leading one side of the referendum and Tory Remainers leading the other, (laughs) so there was no clear working class voice in the referendum and workers voted on both sides. Mm. But nonetheless, 
we have to remember that when people are saying, you know, disaster began the day that there was a Brexit referendum, because in reality, that vote shook historically the strongest capitalist, one of the most successful capitalist parties on the planet in the Tory party Mm. and put them into crisis. And to go back to what we were talking about before, (laughs) Johnson is trying to pose as this populist standing for the people against parliament, utterly cynically, Mm. but he's doing that to try and get a social base for Tory austerity policies. That's Mm. where it stems from. It's not just because he's a buffoon. It's related to objective reality. But the capitalist class are frightened by it because they don't want a chaotic no-deal Brexit because the effect it could have on their profits. Mm -hmm. They would like Brexit to not happen at all. But, of course, they're also worried about the social explosions that would take place if they were seen to just ignore the vote from 2016. Mm. So most of them would probably, as far as they have one voice, like some kind of managed deal that was still very close to the EU. But they're worried by Johnson's approach. But they're also worried because he seems so light-mindedly willing to undermine the institutions of British capitalism. Parliament, the judiciary, even the monarchy, and they're going to need those in the future. They don't want them like-mindedly undermined. And that is a big reason for what we've seen taking place, which you referred to at the beginning, in terms of the decision of the UK Supreme Court to try and curb Johnson because of his recklessness. Of course, by doing that, they have also undermined the idea the illusion, and it is an illusion, Mm -hmm. that the judiciary is independent, above politics, because it's acted in a very political way. So how significant then is the Supreme Court's ruling against Johnson's prorogation of Parliament? It is extremely significant. This is the highest court in Britain, taking the same road as the Scottish courts took. Mm, Because the English courts initially went the other way. They did, absolutely they did, yeah. And unanimously, I mean, I was shocked by that, not what they found, but that they, every single one of them, all 11, found that the decision of a Tory prime minister, the leader of one of the most successful capitalist parties on the planet in the past, not today, was unlawful, null and of no effect. And that is a real reflection of the splits in the capitalist elite, Mm. that they cannot find a way forward in this situation. But what lesson does the workers' movement draw from that? Our conclusions has to be, they're split, they're weak, let's take advantage of it. And fight all out for a general election to get the Tories out and to get a government in the interests of the working class. Now, Jeremy Corbyn welcomed the Supreme Court ruling and certainly it was a blow to the government. So a lot of people will say, isn't that good? Look, of course, lots and lots of people are happy when a decision gets taken against Johnson. Mm. And we get that. Mm -hmm. We want Johnson to suffer. We want him to be kicked out of office, him and all the rest of the Tories. But at the same time, we think that Corbyn and MacDonnell are making a mistake in suggesting that the judiciary is independent, that you always have to obey laws because laws are always just and fair. This is not an exact quote. I might be exaggerating a little bit. But that kind of argumentation. I mean, there's a number of reasons it's a mistake. First of all, it plays tactically into the hands of Johnson because this idea, his pose, that he is standing for the people against the establishment, it's a complete lie. But if Corbyn and MacDonald don't differentiate themselves from the capitalist establishment, 
then it works, what mm. Johnson's trying to argue. I mean, it's similar to, again, it's happened in Parliament. It happened before Parliament was shut down, and it's happened since they come back, that Corbyn and Macdonald have tended to be sucked in to the idea that there is some kind of national interest to block together against Johnson, mm -hmm. that he is the devil and everybody else is on the side of right. Of course they should be attacking Johnson, no argument about that, but don't suggest that there is some common national interest with Tories like Ken Clark, with the Liberal Democrats who are part, let's remember, of a Tory coalition government, yeah. implemented brutal austerity, all come to that with the Blairites, the pro-capitalists in the <laughs> Labour Party, yeah. and it's a mistake. In my view, even this stuff on language, I mean, mm. of course, look, Johnson is using provocative language to cynically try and whip up popular support on a reactionary basis. Mm -hmm. And he should be called out for racism, for sexism, above all for his anti-working class policies. Mm -hmm. No doubt about that. But there's a bit of a danger when you spend two days debating, sticking with the niceties of parliamentary language. Because yeah. let's face it, the capitalist class like nice parliamentary language mm. because they don't want the truth spoken in the House of Commons. They don't want the voice of the working class. They don't want to hear about how millions of people are living in poverty, mm. how the number of people who've died as a result of being homeless has rocketed in the course of the last year. Mm. And it's the job of workers' representatives to state the plain truth and not be bothered by parliamentary language. Right. But they've been sucked into that debate and I think it helps Johnson rather than otherwise. So it's a tactical error to start going on about the independence of the judiciary, how wonderful they are, and so on. It jars, secondly, with the experience of working-class people, mm. many of whom have experienced that the legal system is not neutral and just. Any group of workers who've tried to take strike action and have been blocked on spurious grounds using the anti-trade union laws by the courts, they know that the courts don't behave in a neutral way. Come to that, the experience of workers in extreme poverty who have perhaps stolen a little bit to survive or mm. slightly fiddled their benefits and contrast that with the treatment of billionaires who don't pay their taxes. Yeah. Yeah. People know the legal system is not just neutral. But thirdly, and I think this is the most important reason, it's more important than any of the others, it's miseducating the working class, ordinary people, about the real character of the legal system, of the judiciary, of the state, and that is dangerous for the struggles that we're going to face in the future. And on top of the grounds which you mentioned mm. there about taking action through the anti-trade union laws against strikes, well, what about strikes which actually break those laws? What about unofficial strikes? For example, on the day that Corbyn was making that statement, construction workers in Hull exactly. were walking off the site in defence of mm. trade union agreements which the bosses were breaching, and that's against the anti-union laws. Now, would Corbyn say to those workers, you've got to go back to work? I don't think he would. Mm. So that was the wrong thing for him to say. And then furthermore, what about the EU's anti-nationalisation laws, laws against investing to save jobs in industry? Now, Corbyn's programme would come up against those if he hadn't left the EU by the time he came to power, which is very possible. Saying you're the party which respects law and order, isn't that a kind of invitation to yeah. the Blairites in your own party to tie you up in the courts yeah. when you try and implement those policies? I mean, look at our common history with Jeremy Corbyn, because he was one of those who supported the movement that we led against the poll tax. Mm -hmm. 18 million people refused to pay their poll tax. 
30 odd members of our party went to prison for not paying their poll tax. Mm -hmm. It was a completely unjust law. And we said it's better to break the law than to break the poor. Let's organise this mass movement of non-payment. And we got the poll tax repealed and Mm -hmm. Thatcher was forced out as a result of it. But it was breaking the law and it was absolutely the right thing to do. But judges, of course, didn't write the anti-union laws. So some lefts would argue we just need to change the laws that the judges are working from. Yes, they would argue that. And that's wrong. (laughs) I mean, look, actually, this particular case, this judgment against Johnson, in and of itself shows the class character of the legal system. Okay. It was not a judgment in the interests of the working class. It was not a judgment in the interests of people who'd voted for Remain in the referendum. Mm. The Supreme Court would not have acted in that way to help those people. Mm. It acted in that way to help the capitalist class. And that was very clear. I mean, the day after it, the Financial Times, which as far as the capitalist class in Britain have a newspaper these days, it would be the Financial Times, had an editorial saying it's got to be followed up, the decision of the courts, with the passing a vote of no confidence in the Premier and then using the Parliament's right to form a caretaker government to ensure an extension to the Brexit deadline and to organise a general election. In other words, follow this up by getting Johnson out of office. By the way, they had an editorial the day after saying, but don't let Corbyn come to office. (laughs) So they want parliamentarians to find a solution that involves neither. But one of their major reasons for wanting action against Johnson, as I mentioned earlier, was that he is undermining the institutions of capitalism, including the institutions of the state, in a like-minded way. Mm -hmm. And he's also creating legal precedents that they were worried could be used by a future left-wing government, by a socialist government. There was a number of right-wing commentators picked up on that who actually read the ruling, which I did over the weekend. So one of them, Matthew Scott in The Telegraph, he said... Given that the official opposition is now a strange personality cult of unrepentant Marxists committed to expropriating private property, not quite, but anyway, conservatives of all kinds should be profoundly grateful that the Supreme Court has reaffirmed this limitation on the Prime Minister's powers. Daniel Finkelstein made similar points in The Times. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the ruling, the president they give, the main president to justify their actions is, and I'll quote from the ruling, the executive cannot exercise prerogative powers so as to deprive people of their property without the payment of compensation. Mm. And what this is related to was a decision of the courts in 1965 that Parliament had no right to refuse to pay compensation to the Burma Oil Company, who had had its oil fields bombed during the Second World War to stop the Japanese army seizing them and were demanding compensation Mm -hmm. and the government was refusing to pay it. So in other words, this was a ruling about no, this major corporation should have compensation paid to them and the Mm. courts acted against the government. So they used that hook to justify what they've done in an entirely different case, which has got nothing to do with expropriation. Mm -hmm. But it shows, as Finkelstein himself says, it doesn't require much imagination to think of circumstances where that sort of ruling might come in handy. Right. They're worried about what a Corbyn government might do. They're worried that a Corbyn government might implement our policy, Mm. which is the nationalisation of major corporations with compensation only paid on the basis of proven need, Mm. not giving a penny to the fat cats and the speculators. And that 
ruling actually when you read it was about their right to act legally in those circumstances against a democratically elected government it's a very big mistake to imagine that the high court is some neutral force when so clearly it acts at the behest of the capitalist class. Mm-hmm. Even if in this instance, there might be many workers who are happy about the decision. Sure. They didn't do it for the workers. No. They did it because it was in the interest of the capitalist class. And ultimately, that's always the role of the legal system and the rest of the state as well. We live in a capitalist democracy. Mm-hmm. Workers have won the right to vote. Mm-hmm. We've won the right to join a trade union, <laughs> much as it's been curtailed yeah. by Tory Governments and left in place by New Labour. But in any case, we've won those things. But nonetheless, the capitalist class retain decisive economic power via their ownership of the big corporations, the banks, finance and so on. Mm -hmm. And the state machine and the judiciary and the legal system are part of that. They act ultimately to protect the interests of those that have the power in any class society, and in this society, that's the capitalist class. Mm. And the judiciary is not elected. Those high court judges were not elected, and they are overwhelmingly drawn by education, by class background, by outlook, from people who are going to defend the capitalist status quo. The same is true about the top of the civil service. Mm -hmm. The same is true about the heads of the army. But if you look at the judges, more than 60% of senior judges in Britain went to public school. 71% went to Oxbridge. Of those 11 Supreme Court judges, nine went to Oxbridge. (laughs) And by the way, I think the other two both went to top Irish uh, universities. (laughs) It's just, uh, you know, they do not represent ordinary people. Clearly. And the fact that they're worrying about precedents being set inadvertently by the Johnson government, Mm -hmm. and part of what they're doing is trying to undo that precedent in order to be able to act against a future left socialist government, Mm -hmm. it gives a little glimpse of how far they would be prepared to go to use the state, if you like, to prevent a government acting in the interests of the working class. And by the way, that includes all wings of the state. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but when Corbyn was first elected, there were a series of unnamed generals (laughs) quoted in the press. And one of them, the one I could find that was clearest, he was very clearly threatening a coup against a Corbyn-led government. He said, the general staff would not allow a prime minister to jeopardise the security of this country. And I think the people would use whatever means possible, fair or foul, to prevent that. Who's the people? Well, I think he means himself. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, that was the ranting of a few generals. Sure. I'm not suggesting they're planning a coup against a Corbyn-led government. And there were similar rantings, by the way, against Wilson, a not particularly left-wing Labour Prime Minister in the 70s. But nonetheless, it is an indication they think they have a right to rule and they will not they will not allow the democratic election of a socialist government that they think threatens their power hmm. prevent that if they can use the state machine in order to maintain power and they've said it themselves so there's a famous book called inside right <laughs> It was written by a bloke called Ian Gilmore, who later served in Thatcher's cabinet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not just some off-the-wall person, a leading Tory. And he said, Conservatives do not worship democracy. For them, majority rule is a device. 
And if it is leading to an end that is undesirable or is inconsistent with itself, then there is a theoretical case for ending it. What they mean is if democracy doesn't suit their interests, then they would be prepared to do away with democracy and to use the state machine in order to do that. Now, let's be clear, they would much rather continue to rule by democratic means. They would not likely go down that road, and they're not planning at this point to go down that road. But nonetheless, he was telling the truth, what he wrote in that book, about what they'd be prepared to do. Because, of course, going down that road, that would risk sections of the working class concluding, well, if the state is going to be used against us, we need to get rid of the capitalist state completely. Absolutely. And you saw, for example... The way the monarchy was used in the 1970s, an important component of Britain's capitalist state to dismiss a democratically elected left-wing Labour government in Australia. Yep. Uh, they dissolved that government and said, no, that's not good enough. Go back to the polls and give us someone else. And, and that happened, unfortunately. And in terms of their heads of the army and the police as well, I mean, Friedrich Engels, of course, Karl Marx's collaborator, one of the co-founders of Marxism said that fundamentally what the state boils down to is armed bodies of men, that when the ruling class in society feels its privileges and its power threatened, if it has to, it will rely on force to maintain itself. But that is the basic function of the state. Yeah. And we've seen elements of that in Britain in recent history. In the 20th century, we saw in 1984-85, during the miners' strike, when capitalism needed to break the unions, you had parts of the country were in effect a police state with movement controlled by the police. You had cavalry charges by the police to break picket lines a little bit further back when the workers' movement was a threat not just to profits, but in fact to the whole capitalist system. In 1926, you had a general strike going on, which almost brought down the capitalist government. The Royal Navy sailed warships up the Clyde to train their guns on the Glasgow picket lines. Now, that strike failed, of course, but it shows the way the state can be used. And even without reaching that kind of picture struggle, there's been talk when Johnson's gone on about ignoring the laws passed by Parliament, which would massively delegitimise an already completely delegitimised institution, there's been talk of the Supreme Court being able to order the Cabinet Secretary, an unelected senior civil servant, to go to Brussels on behalf of the British state and overrule the Prime Minister. You can see straight away, I'm not saying that's going to happen, yeah. but you can see straight away how that would be used to overrule, for example, Jeremy Corbyn giving instructions. So... Given the capitalist state has all this undemocratic power, how should socialists deal with it? Well, I think A, before you come to B, C and D, is don't create illusions that it's democratic, mm. which unfortunately... Or impartial. Yeah, impartial. Yeah, that's probably a more accurate word, that it's neutral, that it stands above the class forces in society. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, that has been the approach in the recent statements of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell that has kind of fostered that illusion. But then we support all possible reforms to improve the situation. I mentioned that judges aren't elected. Mm -hmm. Well, they should be elected and under democratic working class control. You were talking about the role of the army, potentially. We would support the right of rank-and-file soldiers and rank-and-file police officers to join a trade union, mm -hmm. for example. In the police, we would support the police being under democratic local control, the local police, but also the disbanding of all of the... I mean, for example, at the moment, I'm involved in a, a long-running and it looks like a complete whitewash mm. of an inquiry into the police spies, into socialist organisations, including our own, mm -hmm. into the trade unions, into environmental campaigns... All those should be disbanded, those kind of units of the police. So mm. we support all those kind of reforms and we should fight for them. However, we shouldn't then create the illusion 
that you can reform the capitalist state into something different. As we've already talked about, while the capitalist class have the key economic levers of power, mm -hmm. they control the state machine and ultimately they will be prepared to use it against the working class majority if that threatens their rule. And you've given examples of that. Mm -hmm. So something more fundamental is needed. Socialist transformation of society is needed. If, as we argue, a socialist government was to take the major corporations and banks that dominate the economy into democratic public ownership, to nationalise them under workers' control and management, mm -hmm. and a, a socialist government also, by the way, to have control of incoming and outgoing trade, so a state monopoly of foreign trade, mm -hmm. that would create the basis to begin to build a democratic socialist planned economy in the interests of the majority. And then you will be talking about creating an entirely new state, something mm. completely different. A worker state will be a state for the majority, not to implement rule on behalf of a tiny minority and mm. would be based on election, accountability, no privileges, right of recall, all the many points that we've discussed before and in other podcasts. So and that's probably what... sacking a lot of these people who are in charge of things at the moment because they're oh. not going to be one round. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a question of keeping the same people at all. It will be something entirely new and different. Now, of course, the argument then is, but how is that possible when these generals control the current state machine mm. and would be prepared to use it to prevent that happening? And they would. However, in a country like Britain, provided a socialist government was acting with the active support of the working class majority, and we are a majority in this country, mm. who would appeal to the rank and file of the army and the police to say, what interest have you got in attacking us when we're offering you a decent future? Mm -hmm. Actually, they will be powerless. They would attempt, no doubt, but they will be powerless to prevent a peaceful socialist transformation of society. And that's what's required, and that's what we're preparing the ground for in the arguments that we're putting. Now, these questions then about the role of the capitalist state forces can seem quite high level. They can seem sort of far off. Why are we as Marxists insisting on them right now? Because they're not far off. <laughs> That's why. I mean, they would matter even if they were. But sure. look, this is a very fast moving situation. I mentioned earlier on that the Financial Times had two consecutive editorials saying get rid of Johnson and stop Corbyn. Mm. And the capitalist class would like to achieve both of those things. But it's not that easy for them. Mm -hmm. And despite their best efforts, you could see a Corbyn government coming to power in short order. This year, mm. that could take place. And then these issues will be posed. Because unless a Corbyn government was to capitulate completely, immediately, it will attempt to carry out some measures in the interests of the working class. Mm -hmm. And... The capitalist class will use whatever means they can, big and small, to try and sabotage that. Mm. We tend to concentrate on the economic things that they would do, mm -hmm. of threatening a strike of capital, the IMF threatening to step in, those kind of measures. But there's lots of examples, on a little level, by the way, the kind of Sir Humphrey level. For example, when Tony Benn was energy minister, mm -hmm. so a Labour left was energy minister, then he was told by the Sir Humphreys, that if he didn't... The senior civil servants. The senior civil servants, sorry, that's probably a, a, a <laughs> reference, reference from yeah. a dated <laughs> reference, yeah. He was told if 
he didn't allow nitrogen to be moved across a picket line, breaking a strike. There would be a major nuclear explosion <laughs> and, you know, millions of people in Britain would die. <laughs> so understandably, he went, oh, all right then. Yeah. And the strike was broken, but it was a complete lie yeah. as a means to break the strike. So the idea that because you're the Minister for Energy, you're actually deciding what's happening, if what you're doing is going against the interests of the capitalist class the state will intervene to try and prevent it. So these issues can be posed very quickly and we're preparing the ground for that now. And it's absolutely crucial. Unfortunately, the debate in Parliament, workers listening are not going to hear clearly that the state acts in the interests of the capitalist class. Mm -hmm. But we have to say it to those that we can reach to point a clear way forward and to prepare for the struggles that are coming. Thanks very much, Hannah. No problem. Politics in Britain is passing through a historic crisis and Socialist Party members have found an increased desire for serious, detailed discussions from workers and young people to understand the mess and to figure out how to end it in their favour. We think thrashing out the ideas and strategy the workers' movement needs to win is crucial. So there's a fantastic event coming up for anyone who wants to talk through the ideas. We're here now with Sarah Sachs-Eldridge, organiser of Socialism 2019, to hear more about it. Hello, Sarah. Hey, James. So what is Socialism 2019? Basically, I would say that Socialism 2019 is what we all need right now. It's a festival of ideas. And like you said, all around is chaos and crisis. And we want to spend the weekend cutting through that, like you've just been doing with Hannah, to really try and dig into the underlying processes to develop all our understanding and also to work out what we've got to do to fight back to defend our living standards and our rights and like you said it's not just going to be top table speakers but it's a chance for everybody to get stuck in to discuss to debate to thrash out the answers to the questions that we face and there are a lot of questions yeah. out there. <laughs> How do we boot out Boris Johnson and the Tories for starters? Mm -hmm. Can the Blairite plotters who want to get rid of Corbyn be stopped? How do we overcome the divisions between different groups of people in society? Mm. Is there any way out of this mess? <laughs> and, I mean, look at the figures today on homelessness. It's devastating. 726 people died in 2018 mm. from homelessness, from brutal austerity. And we're dedicating a session, actually, to how can homelessness be ended, the question of 100% council homes and new developments. Mm. How do we fight for our future? We're faced with austerity, with climate change, with capitalist crisis, as far as the eye can see. And there's a big question for socialists, isn't there? Automation is threatening jobs. Mm -hmm. Zero-hour contracts and the gig economy is you know, threatening to decimate workforces. Mm. Deindustrialisation. Can the working class still play the role of the agent of socialist change? Mm. That's one of the questions that we're going to be looking at. So Socialism 2019, it's hosted by the Socialist Party mm -hmm. and part of the Committee for a Workers International and we want everyone to come along. So it's a weekend of discussion and debate. Why should we go to Socialism 2019? Well... Firstly, if you like these podcasts, you should come because this is, you know, we're going to be dealing with all the issues that you've been covering and more. But also, if you've just had enough of bullying bosses, mm. come along. If you've been suffering from universal credit and need to fight back, come along. This is going to be an event for low paid workers. We've had a decade of 
privatisation, wage cuts and attacks. One of the sessions is going to be on the demand for a £15 an hour minimum wage. Is mm. that what we should be fighting for? Mm-hmm. We've also got an appeal for members of the civil service union PCS to come along because mm-hmm. they're faced in the next couple of months with a really important election of their union's general secretary. And we're going to have a, a session discussing how the left can be rebuilt in that important cuts-fighting union. Mm-hmm. I think everyone over the weekend is going to have the postal workers' strike of CWU members on their mind. Mm-hmm. And we really hope that CWU members will join us at Socialism to discuss their experiences, the fight against privatisation and those bullying bosses. But also... If you're socialist curious, I would say you should come along. And that's you know can sound funny, but actually over the last couple of months, we've met hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people at the university freshers' fairs, at the colleges, on the climate strike protests, who are being forced to think about socialism, really. So they said they're interested in talking about socialism. And when you think about it, that makes sense, though, doesn't it? If yeah. you're 18, your life has been war, It's been economic crisis and it's been austerity. So why would you not be thinking about what an alternative to capitalism looks like? So we're going to have a whole course on Marxist theory, economics, philosophy. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to be asking the questions that people get asked if you say, I'm a socialist or I'm interested in socialism. (laughs) Well, what happened in Venezuela? Did socialism fail in Venezuela? Is climate change too urgent to bother about fighting for socialism? Mm -hmm. What's Corbynomics? Is that socialism? Is that Keynesianism? So those kind of things are going to be covered as well. And I would also say, if you are interested in the events taking place around the world at the moment, and who isn't, look at Hong Kong, look at Sudan, look at Kashmir. Algeria. Algeria, exactly. You should come along and discuss those things. And I have to mention Brexit, (laughs) because we've all had a gutful of it. But we, we need to work out, like you said at the start, what is in our interest? What's in the interests of workers and young people? And so we'll have a session on that. Is a pro worker Brexit possible? We'll look at Brexit in context of Trump, of trade, of tariffs, and we'll look at Brexit in relation to Northern Ireland as well. And I suppose the other thing that's really important to mention is that there are so many people who are involved in the fight against oppression, against women's oppression, Mm -hmm. against homophobia and transphobia, Mm -hmm. against racism. We appeal to all those people to come along because that's going to be the fight against all forms of oppression is going to be a key theme of Socialism 2019 as well. It sounds like the only drawback is you can't go to everything. That's right. So who can come to Socialism 2019? Everybody. (laughs) Literally everybody. And when I say that, I mean it, because we were actually this year written to The Economist. That (laughs) (laughs) That neoliberal rag. Exactly, yeah. The pro-capitalist weekly magazine that many socialists read. Um, (laughs) Or they should also read the socialist newspaper to get get the real news. They must, they must. But we've written to them to invite them to come along and defend their system in a debate with us. Mm. But obviously they're not the most important people that we want to have there. We're appealing mainly to working class people, to young people, to people fighting their bosses at work, to those who are organising resistance in their communities, to climate warriors, to everybody. Mm. And to make sure that's possible, we've got a free crash during the course of the weekend. We've Mm -hmm. got support for disabled people who want to attend and I have to say as well that this is not just an event for people living in Britain. We already know of people who are coming from Ireland, France, Germany, mm-hmm. as far away as Nigeria as really? well. So, you know, those listeners abroad, please come along. <laughs> 
When is it? Where is it? What does it cost? Facts. Good question. So Socialism 2019 is taking place over the weekend of the 2nd and 3rd of November. So it's just over four weeks away. Registration will open at 12 o'clock on the Saturday, the 2nd of November. And then the first round of sessions starts at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. But it's worth coming down early because there's going to be one of the biggest bookshops of socialist and Marxist and left-wing literature available during the course of the weekend. There'll be posters, t-shirts, badges and other material and of course lots of socialists to just chat to informally as well. On that evening, on the Saturday the 2nd of November, we'll have the big rally which will be the kind of main event of the weekend and if you can only make one part of the weekend you should try and come along to that and it's on the most important subject of all really the most pressing subject of all how do we get the Tories out and fight for socialism and Mm. you've been there James haven't you it's fantastic isn't it you're sitting in a crowd of a thousand people and you're hearing thoughtful but also thought-provoking speeches Mm -hmm. from people who are involved in the struggle who have got you know a record and a history of fighting to defend rights and living conditions and fight against capitalism Mm. You said where? It's at the Institute of Education, which is near Russell Square Tube Station in central London. And for people who come in from outside London, there's an option to buy what we call a golden ticket that that includes a hostel bed for the night. And you can get in touch and we can let you know details of transport that's been organised from different cities around the country as well. And tickets start from £3 for a day ticket for a school student, mm-hmm. £6 for the weekend, £5 for a freshers student for one day or £10 for the weekend. And at the moment, there's a 10% discount on all non-offer tickets that you get on the website. Sounds eminently affordable, well worth the money, best £10 or more that you're going to spend Absolutely. this month. Absolutely. Where do I sign up? So you can get tickets, the programme and all the other info that you need at socialism2019.net or you can give us a call on 020-89-888-777. We can talk through all your questions and sell you a ticket as well, most importantly. You know, we're really excited. We're going all out over the next few weeks to organise a, a fantastic event, the event that we need, the festival of ideas that we need right now. And we hope that everyone listening will join us. See you there. See you there. (laughs) And now we're going to hear from the latest reports of worker struggle and some of the news and campaigning activity that's been going on. Joining us again, we have Scott Jones from the Socialist Newspaper Editor's Department. Hi, Scott. Hiya. And also Helen Patterson, who's one of our Socialist Party London organisers. Hello, Helen. Hello. So, Scott, there's been a victory at the Harland and Wolf shipyard occupation, isn't that right? Yeah, there has. So, workers at the shipyard, which is in Belfast... They occupied the site for 10 weeks mm. against this proposed closure. And they're celebrating because a buyer's been found, which obviously means it's going to stay open and hundreds of jobs are going to be saved. Great. Yeah, the buyer is promising to re-employ the workforce and expand production. And that announcement, you know, should give confidence to workers in other threatened plants and industries, such as right bus workers who are fighting the closure of their bus manufacturing site in Ballymena in Northern Ireland as well. We call for the nationalisation of, of right bus, as we did at Harland & Wolf to permanently safeguard the jobs and skills. But for now, finding a buyer for Harland & Wolf is fantastic and the workers, on the back of the workers' 10-week occupation. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, in Hull, there's been an unofficial walkout in defence of trade union agreements we've reported on previously. What's the latest there? 
That's right. So the workers are involved in building a wood chip processing plant in Hull. Mm. And it's been a struggle to prevent blacklisting, basically, of two senior United GMB union shop stewards. So, so that's where the company refuses to employ a particular tradesperson because they're seen as someone who stands up for the workers. That's correct, yeah, and they do. You know, the, the guys are Paul Tapsfield of Unite and Socialist Party member Keith Gibson, who's the GMB steward. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's a clear breach of the trade union employer agreed procedures that take place in the construction industry. When the unions asked the boss, is the direct question, why will you not allow Keith Gibson as a senior steward? There was just deafening silence. Mm. Obviously, because he like, like you say, he's a militant, he's got a record fighting for workers. But the unofficial action taken by the workers has forced them back. Mm. Fabricom, the employer. So Keith will start in the next three weeks, as will Paul Tatsfield. So, you know, it shows strike action wins. Fantastic. And finally, the Civil Servants Union, PCS, there's a battle coming up for the General Secretary's position. That's right, yeah. And Socialist Party member Marion Lloyd is running... Nominations close on the 14th of October. Her message is simple. If you want, as General Secretary, a socialist with a proven record of fighting for members and support Marion. In the Socialist This Week and online, we carry her record and programme. So that's definitely worth reading. Yeah. And Helen, Socialist Party members have been out on university campuses up and down the country in the past few weeks, haven't they? Talking to freshers just starting. That's right. And they're all covered in this week's Socialist reports from all of those different fairs happening around the country over the last few weeks, like you said. And what really stood out to me from those reports was the huge enthusiasm, but also actually seriousness from the students who we've been discussing with, who've come to our first meetings on campuses about what's needed to get out of this fog of Brexit, but also to get rid of the Tories and Boris Johnson. Lots of the reports mention things like an openness to socialist leave arguments around the EU, but really about also what is needed from Corbyn, from the workers' movement, and around what demands a movement can be built that stands up for ordinary working class people at this time. And that's very important, isn't it? Because certainly I experienced out on the campuses, and a lot of other people did as well, a real scepticism towards Jeremy Corbyn at the moment because he's seen as weak, because he seems unable or unwilling to pull the trigger on this hated government, and it's not understood. And it's not just students, by the way, but also Socialist Party members are reporting that working-class people in workplaces, trade union branches, on their housing estates, on street campaigning stores all across the country, everyone sees Corbyn as weak right now. He's made things very difficult for himself by staying trapped in that Westminster bubble rather than saying to the unions, let's come out, let's have a big action, let's threaten some strikes and push this government out. That would be understood. But being trapped in Parliament, unfortunately, that could seriously undermine him. And Scott mentioned about the right bus dispute in Northern Ireland. Yep, in Northern Ireland, right bus has gone into administration. Mm -hmm. And that actual dispute isn't all that removed from the climate struggle as well that's happening around the world. There's been the big student climate strikes as well. This is the company who originally was producing the Routemaster buses, which are used in London, and currently working on hydrogen-powered buses. Like I said, they've gone into administration, and that's a huge blow for the workers who work in there. Mm. I think it really shows up how the profit system, especially so soon after the collapse of Thomas Cook, offers no way forward for ordinary people to solve the problems of a decent standard of living, but also problems like the climate crisis. Mm. The company at the moment is playing hard, the parent company being greedy, refusing to sell off the land so that an alternative could be found. We agree with Unite's call to nationalise the company so that renewable powered buses can be produced to defend those jobs, defend the future of transport as well. And we would say open the books. The owner of the company has got a vanity project, church development, happening next door and has been using money from this failing company for that development. 
and workers' tactics such as those used in Harland and Wolf can be used again to stop the asset strippers and defend those jobs for the future. And there's also some updates on the Labour Party's pledges on housing policy. Yeah, if people read last week's issue of The Socialist, then there was a long article about the housing crisis and also Labour Party policy that's come out recently on housing. Now two pledges that have come out of Labour Party conference. One, to build 155,000 social rented properties a year, 100,000 of which should be council housing, and powers and resources for councils to take over housing associations under their direct control. Now, there's a huge housing crisis. It's an extremely important issue. And our article does point out a campaign already underway, a place in London called Meridian Water, which is calling for 100% of the houses built there to be council housing. And we've also got information from a councillor, Tolga, who has been involved in that campaign. Now, the other thing that this article points out is that these pledges on their own aren't enough, they'll have to be fought for to be included in any future Corbyn manifesto if there's a general election against the bloc of the Blairite MPs. I think people involved in housing campaigns, people themselves struggling to find safe and actually affordable housing will be really interested in future articles on the issue. And of course this policy about building more council homes is exactly what the Socialist Party has been campaigning for for years and called for in that last article that you mentioned in the previous issue of the Socialist. There's a lot more which Labour needs to do if it's going to guarantee that its housing policies actually come forward, including policies like nationalising the development land, taking the big banks and developers into public ownership so it can actually control how things are constructed. But you can read more about that in the Socialist. Thank you very much, Helen. Thank you. Thanks very much, Scott. Thank you. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party. This week we heard from Hannah Sell, speaking to James Ivans, along with Helen Patson and me, Scott Jones. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. We want you to join the discussion. Come to Socialism 2019, a weekend of dialogue and debate on political ideas to change the world, on the 2nd and 3rd of November in central London. Find out more and book tickets at socialism2019.net. We also want you to send us recordings from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your activity. And we want your questions, comments and ideas for future episodes. So email us at socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people. And we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. And if you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for, we need you. Join our fight for a winning strategy in the Labour and Trade Union movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Till next time, solidarity.